Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 167 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 18th of February 2018, entitled Two Eternal Abodes, A Place Called Hell, Part 6. And the Bible reading is taken from Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I'd like to open your Bibles for our scripture reading this morning to the book of Revelation chapter 20. I'm going to pick up in verse, uh, verse 11, reading down through verse 15. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's holy, precious, and preserved word, beginning in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. For those that have not been here, we have been for a number of weeks looking at the two eternal abodes. We have seen clearly from Scripture that everybody faces death someday, and that beyond that there are two places where that we will live for all of eternity. Now, it's pretty exciting when we look at those first sermons on heaven because what a glorious thing. We can't find words that are beautiful enough and grand enough to describe and explain that place called heaven, which is without any shadow of a doubt where God wants each and every one of you to spend eternity. Matter of fact, He wants you there with Him so much for all of eternity that that's why He came in the flesh and died upon the cross and shed His blood to pay for our sins so that we could have that life and have it forever with Him. But what about those that don't accept that gift? What about those that rather stand before their Creator with their own lives and their own sins? And yes, we are all sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We may look good in comparison to some people that we call bad people in this world. We've come short of the glory of God. There's only one perfection. All life, we have said a number of times, all life comes from God. The physical life that you have right now is only because God gave that life in the beginning. It is only in God that we can have that life continue. When we are separated from God, the very source of life, life can no longer exist. Life or death. There is no in-between, folks. All that are alive in Him will spend their eternity in this place called heaven. But all that are not, all those that are dead in their trespasses and sins, it is an eternity. You see, I say again this morning, these are not 
comfortable thoughts. These are not easy things for us to dwell on. But these are things that are essential because you can shut your mind. You can pretend that it doesn't exist all you want. It doesn't change God's Word. And I have tried. I said it in the time of Bible study this morning, and I say it again now. You can read all kinds of books. You can read all kinds of philosophical views. You can hear people try to explain this away and that away because it's uncomfortable, because they don't understand it, for all kinds of reasons. I've said to you a number of times, I don't expect you to like what we're talking about. Jesus talked about it more than anybody else. Almost everything that we have in the Word of God pertaining to this subject came to us from Him, the one that came to die so that you wouldn't have to go there. Pretending it doesn't exist doesn't take it away. You see, in the end, you will make a choice, and you will Live or die with your choice. Don't base your choice of eternity upon what man says, what man tries to understand, what man tries to philosophize. Base it on what God says. Why is it that Jesus is the one that gives us the details about this place called hell? Because nobody else that's ever been there has ever returned. We've looked at many, many things pertaining to it. We've looked at those original words. We've found that there are four words in the Bible that are translated hell in our English Bible. We have discovered that those first three words, Sheol in the Old Testament, the equivalent of Hades in the New Testament, and Tartarus, which was a place that was prepared for those angels that fell, we find that all of those places, they were held there only uh, until judgment. We find the same thing. Sheol and Hades, they were immediate places that when a person takes their last breath in this body, their body goes back to the soil. The body and the soul are different. The body goes back to the soil, but the soul goes to spend eternity somewhere immediately. We saw that when we looked at heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. We saw that when this body takes its last breath and it lays down and it goes back to the dust from which it came, that that soul, that you that lives in this body, it goes somewhere. To be absent from the body for the Christian is to be present with the Lord. But that is an immediate state, but even that for the Christian is an intermediate state because you still don't have your resurrected body yet, but your soul is there with the Lord. We know that that is a conscious soul. We know that it feels and that it understands and it knows things. By the same token, we've seen the same thing about Hades, Sheol in the Old Testament, Hades in the New Testament. It is a place that we go to immediately if we leave this life and don't know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. If we die in our sins, we can't go to heaven. Heaven couldn't exist if you went there. You say, well, that's a pretty horrible God. No, God is trying to prepare a place for you where you can spend eternity where there is no sin, where there is no death, and He's paid the ultimate price so that you can spend eternity with Him there. But if you refuse that, if you are intent upon living your own life and doing your own thing and facing God with your life, don't blame God. We will look later precisely why this place was prepared and for who it was prepared. Look, folks, there's nothing except life and death. There can't be a heaven with death there. 
It can only exist when that's somewhere else. We find that when you take away life, when you take away God, you see the biggest problem in this world today, many people try to say, well, if there's a God, why do we see all these bad things in the world? Doesn't God care? Folks, the problem in the world is not because of God. It's because of a lack of God. There's a lot of people that have a huge, huge dose of religion. That religion will take them to eternity one day, but I'm afraid that religion will not take them to heaven. To go to heaven, you've got to have far more than religion. You've got to have a relationship. You've got to deal with the sin problem. The sin is what separates you from God. God wants you with him. It's your sin that's in between. He sent Jesus to die to take care of your sin, to take away that boundary that's in between you so that you can be with him. He's done it all for you. But if you refuse that, we must recognize that when we leave this life, immediately we're going to end up somewhere. We looked at the story of the rich man and Lazarus. One lifted up his eyes being in torment. The other lifted up his eyes in Abraham's bosom, the place of comfort. We've talked about how all that changed. We've talked about that those intermediate stages, but then we've been looking the past couple weeks at the eternal state, not Sheol, Hades, and Tartarus, but that place which is called Gehenna in the Word of God, the place that Jesus used. We talked about the real place, Gehenna, outside the gates of Jerusalem. It was a place where that it was so vile that for years we saw that, that all these false gods were worshipped and, and infant babies were thrown into the fires and sacrificed and, and children were made to, to walk live into those fires and sacrificed to these false gods. It was a place that even after that was torn down, it became, it became the cesspool of everything that wasn't any good in the city was thrown into this place and the fires burned there forever and it smoldered. It was the most god-awful place. It was the worst place on the face of the earth that Jesus could find for us to describe and understand what eternity is going to be like without God, what he's tried to pay the price to keep you from. But if you refuse that life, Gehenna is the place. You see, there's something different about Gehenna. As we begin to look, we first of all, we looked at all the places. We found that that word was used 12 times in the New Testament. Only one place when James used it, when he was talking about the horrors that could come from a deceitful tongue, that he used the word Gehenna, the place outside the city. All the other 11 times that Gehenna is used is used by Jesus Christ himself to describe the place where people will spend eternity if they leave this world without life. Because you see, you may be here today, and I know that you're physically alive today, and God has given you the gift of that life. But you will die someday. Just look. Nobody misses that boat. You will die someday. And that's all because of sin. God didn't create you to die, but sin brings that death. But spiritually, you may be sitting here today alive physically, but spiritually dead. You can't go. Your spirit, if, if your body quits right now, you can't go to heaven if you're spiritually dead. Death can't enter in there. We looked at all of those places, and we'll come back and we'll review them at some point. But then, after looking at those 12 places, we came back 
We said there are many places in Scripture. Again, everything that we've seen so far is Jesus talking about it. Nobody else. Nobody else knows what hell is like. Nobody else knows how to describe it. Jesus, the one that came and suffered the humiliation and suffered the pain and suffered the agony to die the death so that you wouldn't have to, he's the one. He's the one that's trying to get you to understand what he wants to keep you from. It's not something we said that there are many that would say, well, this is a, a place that, that man has made up, that it didn't even exist before. Well, okay. We didn't have English Bibles forever, and the word hell wasn't there. But what we're looking at is, is what was originally there. It's always been there. It's what Jesus said. It's the place that he used to define it. Men can have all kinds of ideas. You see, I'm going to say this again. You don't have to like it. Matter of fact, I hope you hate it more than anything else you hate in all this world. <laughs> you don't have to feel comfortable with it. Well, I hope you feel more uncomfortable than you do about anything. There is nothing. I cannot. And I'm not saying this is not something that I've made up to try to scare you into submission as some people would tell you. This is why Jesus came and died on the cross. This is what Christianity is all about. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to give you life everlasting. He came to take care of your sin problem so that you wouldn't have to pay the price for it. God cannot entertain sin. Heaven cannot exist with sin. It's got to be taken out of the picture. And only Jesus can do that for you. All of your best intentions in the world won't resolve it. I hope you don't like it. Jesus didn't like it. I hope you're not comfortable with it. He wasn't. I'm not. I can't imagine anybody being comfortable with it. But what you better do is you better acknowledge that it's real. You better acknowledge because if you don't accept that heaven and hell are real, if you don't accept the eternity of your soul, then the Christian faith is not for you anyway. Because we have nothing else except God's Word. And he himself says that if your hope that you have is in this life only, then you're pretty pitiable people. <laughs> you're somebody to be pitied. Some people think that one day, that's it. There's nothing beyond. That if, if all the hope you have is what you can have in this life, then you're to be pitied. Because there's far, far, far more. There's far, far beyond this. We've been looking, rather than me saying hell is this, this, and this, we've been looking at what Jesus says that it is. Now, if you're taking notes, I'll happily pass along the things that we have, have been looking at so far. But as we have, have begun to, to go through and, and study this place called hell, we looked at those first three states, and we looked at the, the different states that, uh, that were going through there, and then we looked at all this, the words, that the places that... Uh, this last word was, was literally used in Scripture. And then we have been looking most recently at the places in Scripture that leave no doubt that Jesus is talking about the same place that he's been calling Gehenna. And we looked at all the passages in, in Matthew that dealt with that uh, uh, last week as we, as we looked there. And I want to turn your attention this morning to just a few more places. First of all, in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to come back to our Revelation passage in a moment. But again, 
You know, I, <laughs> it may seem silly to you, but even to remind myself, you know, there's no words just because they're read in your Bible doesn't make them any more real than the black ones. But there is something to be said when Jesus himself, the author and finisher of our faith, when he spent so much time, even in my notes, I put them read for me to remind me, to remind me this is what Jesus said about this. This is not what I'm saying. It's not what a lot of these authors and preachers are saying that, that we've made up. What does he say about it? We find that there's no doubt that these places that we're looking are speaking of this place called Gehenna. In, gospel, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verse 28 and 29, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, All sins shall be given unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. All those sins. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. There is no forgiveness, and therefore there is only eternal damnation. And he's made it very clear where that eternal damnation, that eternal condemnation is at. It's only in this place defined as Gehenna in our Bibles. Why is it that everything that you've done in your life could be forgiven except this one sin against the Holy Spirit? May I say it's because, folks, this is not our subject this morning, but I will touch on this as we pass it. You know that whatever else you do in this world, the Holy Spirit can come knocking on your heart's door. Jesus left him here so that he could continue the work, so that he could speak to your heart that no man can do, so that he could convict you of your sin and allow you to see it and point you to a Savior that nobody else would point you to. When you start blaspheming against the if you're here this morning, if it's by God's grace that you're here to hear the Word of God and God is trying to speak to your heart, but if you close that off and you don't accept that that's God and you think that it's just this preacher or you think that it's something else, may I say, when you reject the Holy Spirit, there is no other hope. Now, thank God, as we were looking in our Bible study earlier, Thank God he is a patient God, and he is a merciful God. And, you know, he doesn't just give us one chance a lot of times. He gives us another chance. Chances are it's not your first time that you've heard the gospel. It's not the first time that you've heard that Jesus Christ died on the cross to shed his blood because the penalties, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But when you've heard that message, if the Holy Spirit is trying to show you today, is trying to show you that God wants you to have an eternity with Him, if you reject that Holy Spirit, there is no other way that you'll ever come to God. There is no other way. Jesus died to give you the forgiveness, but the Holy Spirit is the one that draws you to Him to even understand and recognize that truth because your flesh is not capable of being able to do that. So may I say to you today, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, be very careful. Be very careful about how you reject him and what you say to him if he's trying to get a message through to your heart because there's nobody else that will bring you to Jesus except him. 
There is no other forgiveness that can be got if you turn him away and don't accept him for who he is. In Revelation chapter 14, we find that the Bible here, and, 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 and I'm going to, we mentioned, I mentioned this last week, and I don't know, uh, I don't know how many of you have, uh, have, uh, have seen it before. We say we're going to be looking into the book of Revelation, not to study the book of Revelation. That took us several years to do that. But uh, Brother Bernard, if you take these right here, if there's anybody that, uh, that hasn't seen this that would like one, I don't know if there's enough, maybe if people can, uh, can share. This is just a simple chart, folks. It's not anything deep. A lot of people don't. This is something that I put together years ago to help me understand the book of Revelation. And, and it's divided out in this chart, if you'll see, uh, seven, seven different things, and it's divided into seven, seven sevens. And seven is God's number of completeness, and it's amazing when you begin to look at the Word of God. Now, you'll, you'll also find some, uh, uh, some colors on there, and, uh, and you'll find that uh, that first line where it says the churches, uh, you'll find that, uh, that those, those churches are in, in green. That's the things that are pre-tribulation period upon this earth. Those are the things that take place before the Great Tribulation begins. Those are the seven churches that existed then and that still exist in the world today, and the, and the, and the Great Tribulation hasn't begun. You find next the seals. There are seven seals that are mentioned in the Bible. Those are the verses as you proceed through Revelation that lays out the seven seals. We find there, I believe, in chapter 4, verse 1, to chapter 5, verse 14, we see a heavenly vision. We see this is where the rapture takes place. If you believe as we do in a literal interpretation, will you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture? That's why we have the vision of heaven right there in the book just before we get into the Antichrist and the great tribulation here upon this earth. There are seven seals. They're all laid out there for you. When that seventh seal is opened, what they see is so catastrophic that it just brings total silence. In other words, have you ever seen something that just makes you speechless? That's what happened when that seventh seal was opened. We see the seven trumpets, and they're all laid out for you there as we go across the seven trumpets and the basic things that are happening upon this earth. Beyond that, we have seven personages, seven different people, the woman, which is Israel, the dragon, which is Satan, the child, which is Christ, the archangel Michael, the Jewish remnant, the beast of the sea, and the beast of the earth. It takes us through those seven different personages. Then we have what we call a parenthetic phrase in chapter 14, verses 1 through 20, and that is the lamb, the 144,000, the three angels, and the vision of Armageddon. We find that then we have the vials. There's seven vials that are opened in the book of Revelation. In between that, we have a little parenthesis there with the three demon spirit-like frogs that the Bible gives us insight into. And then you come to number six, which is the dooms. You have the fall of Babylon, which is the first doom. And then you have these scenes which are in gold, which are related specifically to the Lord Jesus Christ, the marriage supper of the Lamb that's taking place in heaven, the second coming of Christ to this earth physically, and the battle of Armageddon that takes place here upon this earth. And then it picks up in blue. Those things in blue are post-second coming. It's after Jesus. Remember, up there in, in, in number two, the rapture, that's when Jesus comes. And I've got another little handout for you. I may as well give those to you as well. I'm not trying to uh, confuse you. Here you go, Brother Bernard. <laughs> I'll bring this one up later. But this, this is just a little timeline that, uh, again, I've tried to put together with the various scriptures that pertain 
to the different things there. And, and we find that on there, the second coming of Christ is literally in two stages. He comes, he comes, first of all, in the air, and that's where he comes that we that know him are going to meet him in the air. All the saints will meet him in the air. Seven years later, the great tribulation is taking place here upon this earth. The marriage supper of the Lamb, judgment seat of Christ, is all taking place in heaven. But then Christ returns with his church, and that's what's happening here in chapter 19. And when he returns, that's when the great battle of Armageddon takes place here upon this earth. Then we find the other dooms, the beast, the Antichrist. Listen, these are the things we're going to be looking at in Scripture here because it's when Jesus comes back, the beast and the Antichrist are cast into the lake of fire. The false prophet is cast into the lake of fire. The kings of the earth and their armies are destroyed. Jesus Christ sets up his 1,000-year millennial reign here upon this earth. At the end of that 1,000 years, we see another doom, the battle of Gog and Magog. And then we see Satan himself being cast into the lake of fire. And then we see all unbelievers, which is what we just read about right here. All unbelievers in chapter 20, verses 11 to 15. Unbelievers into the lake of fire, the great white throne of judgment. That's the last event before the new things. And there are seven new things that are listed in Scripture then. A new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, a new people, a new temple, a new light, and a new paradise. And all those things come in Scripture. And we're not looking at all those things, but I just want you to see where we are on that. And at the same time, if you've got the, the little time scale there that, that ties in with that, then you'll find that what we're looking at right now here in chapter 20, verses 11 to 13, is the throne that is in that upper right-hand corner, the great white throne of judgment. That's what. Now remember, up to this point, Everything else that I have read to you has been in red because it's what Jesus literally spoke. Right now, what we're reading about hell, keep in mind, this is still what Jesus spoke. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ to the Apostle John when he was on the Isle of Patmos. This is the vision that God gave to him. This is still Jesus is the one that is speaking this to John to record in the book of prophecy for you and I to be able to read of these things in the future. So we find that there's a couple of things that, that stand out. He says, The third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, this is in Revelation chapter 14. And if you look on your, on your uh, uh, schedule there, we find that uh, this, this is where that we've got uh, uh, parenthetically put in there for you. The same shall drink of the wine because he's talking here. This is a judgment that is awaiting for those that during that seven years of tribulation that will accept the mark of the beast. They will accept the mark of the beast because they want life to be easier and better here upon this earth because without the mark, you're not going to be able to buy. You're not going to be able to sell. Life is going to be miserable. And if you claim the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, your life will be taken. Many people will lose their lives simply because that's the price if you want to stand up and be counted for Jesus Christ during the great tribulation period. You see, this is what Jesus then tells us for those, because remember at the beginning of the tribulation, everybody, notice on your time chart there, everybody at this point at the rapture, all the saints are out of here. 
And so as, they, as we go into the seven years of tribulation, there are no Christians left on this earth. Now, there's a lot of things happen there, and the, the evangelists are called out, and people will get saved. God is dealing with the nation of Israel predominantly again there. But at the end of that, when Jesus comes back, that's when the great battle is going to take place. But during that red period, there will be a choice to either accept the mark of the beast or not to. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark, in his forehead or in his hand. In other words, for those that are still on this earth, if they accept that mark, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, they have no rest, day or night. This is the specific judgment for those that accept the mark of the beast during the great tribulation period. He is describing here their eternity in Gehenna. It can be no place else, where literally they will be tormented with fire and brimstone. The smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. They have no rest, day or night who worship the beast and his image, whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. But then it goes on. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. You see, it all looks very different here on this earth because those that accept the mark of the beast, those that follow the Antichrist, life is easier for them here. They get to buy, they get to sell, they get to be a part of the economy. Those that don't, they can't even buy food. They can't be involved in things in any way, shape, or form. And for most of them, it'll cost them their lives. But here's the patience of the saint. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. It looks far different here on this earth. And I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. We find those that accept the mark, it might be easier right now in this life, but there'll be no rest for them ever, the Bible says. But those that follow the Lord's commandments, those that turn down their food, their housing, maybe even their own lives, there's going to be rest for them. It's a seven-year period on this earth. But we find that those, there will be a vast, vast difference in the eternity of those of whether they accept the things upon this earth or whether they don't. Folks, this is an eternity in a place for those that don't have Jesus Christ. Now look over just a little bit further. And, of course, this is where that... Uh, uh, that we find our passage in, in, in Revelation chapter 19. This is the passage that we read in our opening this morning. And if you find, if you look upon your, on your timeline there, you'll find that, that down on number 6 under the dooms, it says chapter, uh, chapter 19. And then you come across to chapter 20, verses 1 to 6. That's where this chapter begins with the millennial reign. You come through the battle of Gog and Magog, Satan being cast into the lake of fire, which is verse 10 there, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, 
and shall be tormented day and night. We just got through reading where the, the beast and the false prophet were going to go and all those that followed him. Here Satan is being cast into the lake of fire. And then we pick up with our reading this morning, and I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. What books? What books are we going to be judged out of? The same 66 books that we have here this morning. There are no other books. The Bible through and through tells us this is God's Word. This is what God expects of us. This is the way God expects us to live our lives are these 66 books that we hold that we call the Holy Bible, the Word of God. He says the books were opened. And another book, singular, was opened, which is the book of life. There's only one way to get your name written in the book of life. The book of life is all those that have accepted God's gift of life, the eternal gift of God to give them life rather than the death that they already have. When you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your name is written in the book of life. All those whose names were not written in the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. The dead. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Folks, I'm not going to dwell there. If you don't have Jesus Christ, preacher, you're dead. Everybody that's at the great white throne of judgment, they're dead. They're dead spiritually. They're standing there, and all these are being judged out of the Word of God. And if their names were not written in the Lamb's book of life, then they're standing there. And the sea gave up the dead which are in it, and death and hell, Hades, the intermediate place, death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. So the first place that's called hell, the intermediate place called Hades, where a person goes when they leave this life, but yet have not stood before the great white throne of judgment, everybody that's in Hades will be delivered up to stand before the great white throne of judgment. And they were judged every man according to their works. Now, it's not our works that save us, but we will all be judged by our works. We find that at the marriage supper of the Lamb, it's what we've done in this life that we will be judged for as far as our rewards there, not for our salvation. And it's not for the salvation here. There is no salvation for anybody that's here. But they're judged out of the lives that they have lived, the actions that they've done, the lives that they've committed. And death and hell, Hades again, the intermediate place, were cast into the lake of fire, which can be no other than Gehenna that Jesus has described to us. This is the second death. You see, the first death, you die physically here. Your soul goes to Hades. It goes there and it stays there until this day that we're reading about here when, when death and hell, Hades, will deliver up all that are in them and they'll stand before God. But once they've been judged at that judgment, then they're cast into the lake of fire. You died once already and went to intermediate Hades. This is the second death when you go to Gehenna, the place of eternity. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. We need to recognize and realize, folks, that's what's there. This is what God is trying to, to keep you from. It's the place that he does not want you to go. We find that 
that in this uh, the same chapter, but right before that we uh, that we got to that, I should read these verses to you, though we won't won't dwell upon them. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 20, and the beast was taken, and him the false prophet, and the wrought the miracles before them, which he deceived them that had received the marks of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. This is the beast and the false prophet. Remember, he's already told what was going to happen. Now, this is it happening. This is when the beast and the false prophet are there, and they are cast into the lake of fire, cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And then in chapter 20, in verse 10, is when Satan that follows them that we read there is cast into that. And then in chapter 11 through 15, the great white throne of judgment, the final judgment, the second death for all human beings as they are cast into the lake of fire. And then in chapter 21, I bring you back to the passage that we began with in this series and I just want you to listen to these words again, please, this morning. Understand, this is real, okay? You can deny it all you want, but the only way you can deny it is to deny God and to deny the Word of God and to deny everything that Jesus came for to give you and to keep you from, to save you from. That's why He came. Nobody wants this for you. It's you that will make that choice, though, because God is a sovereign God. God has chosen you, but will you? Will you choose Him? Will you accept that free gift? And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be, shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, again, which is the second death. This is where we began this series. We find that the first seven verses there are emphasizing what God wants for you where there is no more death nor sorrow because sin is done away with. But if you won't accept that gift, then you have to go where that death is, where sin is. Can we grasp in our minds that's what brings all the horrible things? Why are all these things done away with? Because sin is done away with. 
You see, God wants for you to have eternity with him in that place called heaven. Did you happen to notice that though nobody else, and you see, I will be the first to admit, I find it very uncomfortable having to preach on this subject. I don't take any joy in telling people about this place called hell. But folks, you can't have God without accepting that there is a heaven and a hell. There is an eternal abiding place. I'm not trying to frighten you into submission today. I'm not trying to get you to believe in some man-made thing that will somehow get you to grasp hold of religion. Religion has done a lot of those things in the past, but hell is not one of them. You either toss God, you toss the Word of God, you toss any hope of eternity, you toss it all out the window, or you accept that when you leave this world, you will spend eternity somewhere. You will spend eternity. There will be that immediate and intermediate place where your body and soul are separated. But then there will come the day when that will all be brought together and you will stand before God in heaven or here on this earth. You'll stand before God. You will accept your eternity based upon your choices and you will go over. You have to go through the fact. You'll have, to, you'll have to face this service here this morning. When maybe we, we, we saw last week where some, they, they took it light and they even made fun of it and they were lighthearted about it. Listen, you can treat it any way you want to, but understand that God in heaven loved you so much that he doesn't want you to go. And we will look at some more passages when we come back. There had to be a place. Heaven was prepared by God. Remember, a perfectly prepared place for a perfectly prepared people. One day, we will be completely renovated. We will be made anew. We'll have that new body. There'll be no consequences of sin left in our life, and we'll be in a new place that has no taints of sin in any way, shape, or form. What a glorious, wonderful promise that is for each of us. You must understand that's why Jesus did everything that he did. He wants you to have that. But there also had to be a place prepared for the devil and his angels. There has to be a place. It is your choice. It is your choice. You can go with God to the place that he's prepared for you for all of eternity, or you can go with the devil to the place that's prepared for him. I'm not trying to make it anything except what it is. Understand, God knew how we would fail. But he loved you so much. He did everything. Maybe that's why he has you here today. Maybe you need to wake up and understand this is real. My eternity depends upon what I do with this. You know, I don't want to make it any more than what it is. But I'll guarantee you this, what I believe with all my heart, if it were possible, I would do anything in my power to allow you to really grasp and see what God has in store for you. But he says, I have not seen nor ear heard what God has in store for us. I can't begin to describe the wonder of heaven without sin. But neither can I, because if I could, I would make it sound worse than anything that you've ever heard, because I believe that it is worse than anything you've ever heard, anything you've ever seen, or anything you've ever experienced. 
You see, know what you're making your choice over. If God exists, if there's any merit to his word at all, if our Christian faith has any merit to it whatsoever, we have to accept that there are two eternal abiding places. One is heaven and one is hell. God's choice for you is heaven. God's paid the price for you to go there. But if you want to go on your own and not accept that, then there's only one other eternal abiding place. I can't make it sound as bad as it is. I'm not trying to make it sound worse than what it is because that's impossible for me to do. I simply want you to acknowledge the truth of our eternal existence. Father, you know how hard that we struggle with some of these subjects and, Lord, how uncomfortable that some of it is, and yet you spent so much time speaking about it yourself, trying to teach us and help us to understand Lord, that this life is not just these short years that we live here. And Lord, that it's because of sin that our, our years here are so short that death entered in. But Lord, you overcame that and you sent your son to die on the cross and, and he did that to pay for that sin so that we could experience the life everlasting without that sin that you meant for us. I don't know the hearts of anybody here this morning. I don't know the hearts of anybody that may listen to this later on the Internet, but, Lord, you know each and every one of those hearts. And I pray earnestly right now, Lord, by the power of your Spirit, speak to their heart and help them not to blaspheme against that Spirit today by not accepting his existence and his words of what he's saying to them because, Lord, there is no other way for them to come to you. He will bring them to Jesus. And Jesus will bring them to you. So I pray today. Work in hearts as only you can. May you be glorified and honored. And Father, though this is a subject that is uncomfortable and hard to deal with, we must accept its reality. And for us as believers, it should spur us on like never before, not only to live the lives that we need to live, but Lord, that our lives might be the witness and the testimony to those around us because, Lord, it would be an awful thing to see those we care about go to an eternity in hell one day because we didn't have the strength, the courage to stand up for our faith, for them to see Christ in our lives. Do the work that only you can do. We give you the praise for it in Christ's name. Amen. Mm -hmm.